Morning. Grateful you came to Grace Communion today and drove on our blacktop driveway, huh? All right. Praise God for that. I'm excited today to begin a brand new series of messages. And if you walked in today, you get to go on this journey with us. It's a good time to to worship with us. Today we begin a brand new series called Love Does. And the idea, the concept uh, didn't originate itself with me. It began with Jesus, love God and love others. It's part of the great commandment that we have. But we want to really dig in over the next few weeks and, and, and to go on this journey together as a church. And, and so we're going to encourage you to purchase a book, uh, Love Does, by Bob Goff. Uh, we have a limited number of supplies left in the West Fourier. But go on Amazon.com, go to Prime. You can have it here in two days for about $10. You can purchase this book. And it's going to be a tool used in addition to the message. Simple read. You'll be challenged. Uh, We have a large group of men that have actually utilizing this through our Fight Club journey, this chapter. It's story after story after story of someone living out their faith and just doing love. So we're inviting you to join us in this. I encourage you, don't go to your mobile device now and try to get a jump ahead. Do it after the message. Um, But join in. And, and then we're going to take small group questions from our messages um, right into our homes. And we're going to go on this journey and we're going to ask God to help us live out the great commandment like he encouraged us to. We begin today, which I think is probably the one area that would keep us from loving others unconditionally. And probably today, if you're like me, as I prepared for this message, something will come to mind. There is... There's an attachment somewhere that is keeping you from being fully in with Jesus when it comes to loving one another. And this thing is, is something someone has done to you from your past. It could be a variety of things. Maybe you didn't get the promotion at work that you wanted. Maybe you didn't get the grade from the teacher. Maybe you didn't get in the starting lineup of your volleyball or golf or basketball or football or soccer team. Maybe a father and mother did something to do that you're still holding a grudge against them. There's no way we can love God. It's impossible to love God and to live out the great commandment that Jesus gave unless we drop our grudges. And some of us are holding too tightly to those. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this. I, I mean, I use my blinkers. I mean, it's, what is it? Is it really that far to reach from the steering wheel to the blinker? Not, I mean, not for me, maybe. I'm just some sort of a Superman, I guess. No, you cut me off. Yeah, that little handle on the side of your wheel. So we pull over, we just, it's just friendly words, just a, just nothing much. Just, hey, are you okay? I can get out too. You want... Just one of these right here. Just just hit it. Just hit the blinker. Hit the blinker. Keep your bumper. That's pretty easy. <laughs> okay, now I'm out. He thinks that I'm to blame. 
he thinks it's just, okay, yeah, everything in the world is, you know, someone else's fault. Poor guy. Sad, really. I got a lot of... Got a lot of great stuff here, you know, a lot of great stuff. Shopping cart, man. This was a great story. So I'm at the supermarket, right? You know, just picking up a couple things, just one or two things. I got a bag of these, really nice frozen peas. Really nice. So I'm in line. I've been in line for, well, for a little while. Hey, the checker, she's just... She's just yapping away about this and that, about, hey, would you like this sort of bag or that sort of bag plastic they have? They have these paper, they have sort of paper bags that they carry there. My peas are defrosting. My peas are defrosting right in my, right in my cart. Have you ever read a bag of frozen peas? Once defrosted, do not refreeze. Do not refreeze. So what do you do if you're in line and they're already defrosted? So I do what any red-blooded American do. I, I leave my car right there and I just walk right off. Yeah. It's a funny story. Christmas '81. I was a. Uh, <clears throat> I was living with my parents at the time. I was. Well, I was two. It's my sister's turn to open her presents. She's all excited. We're all excited. Everyone knows what she wants. She wants this. She wants this doll. She opens up her present. And there it is, you know, there it is in the little box there. Just her and her, her brown hair. She's my sister. She's all, she's happy. Time comes for me to open my present. I, I got a pair of pajamas. My sister gets her doll. Everyone's happy, everyone loves. She's so excited about it. I get I get a pair of I get a pair of pajamas. They never never said they're sorry. So what are you holding on to? What grudges are in your garage? What are the things that, that you can't release because someone has done something to you? You're mad right now at me for putting that up there. And you're angry, you're upset because something came to mind. Maybe it's a person. I could see it on your faces. It's her fault. It's his fault. If they just move a little farther, then we'll be okay. If she just comes to the center... If he jests, she jests, if they jest, we can justify it until we're blue in the face. But until we drop our grudges, we'll never be able to be what Jesus asked us to be. To love God and to love others. Today we're going to see an example in Scripture of someone who chose, a man who chose to drop his grudge and set people free. Grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. You need a Bible? Hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. 
Genesis chapter 45. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Genesis 45, verses 1 to 7. Would you stand with me as we read this out loud together? Genesis 45, verses 1 through 7. Please stand with me as we read God's Word. Genesis 45, first book of the Bible, chapter 45. Let's read this together. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 7. Ready, read. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they all had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there would be no plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. You have a seat. We're going to fast forward where we're jumping into this story, real story, not a fable, not a metaphor, true account in biblical times. Joseph was young, had jealous brothers. In their minds, he got a little more favor than they received. And his father, Jacob, gave him a special Under Armour jacket that they were jealous of. It was better than theirs that they got at Kmart. He was thrown into a pit by his brothers. They wanted to get rid of him. And they thought, we're going to throw him into a pit and tell our dad that an animal came and killed him. While they were throwing him in a pit, this group of people from another country came along and they ended up selling their brother to this group of people that were far away from their dad. They figured we got rid of him. And then they concocted this story. They took his Under Armour jacket and they, they filled it with some animal blood and say he was killed. He's no longer alive. And so in their minds, they had blotted out, they had gotten written, rid of this, this, this thing in their life, this person in their life that had wronged them, that they were jealous of. So meanwhile, Joseph goes to this foreign country and he becomes a citizen of this country. He gets falsely accused of rape. He serves time in a penitentiary. He interprets a few dreams, gets promoted to second in command of Egypt, all the while separated from his family for 22 years. He's not sure if his brothers or his dad are even alive. And he begins to get a few gray hairs because of the hardship. There's famine in the land and his brothers are hungry. So his dad, their dad, Jacob, says, go to Egypt and go buy us some grain. And so on their way to Egypt, some 22 years after they had gotten rid, they thought so. Dad thinks Joseph is dead. Brothers know exactly what they did to him. They're now standing in front of their brother who has control to determine whether or not they'll sell him grain. And they don't even know it's him, but he knows that it's his brothers. They will die without food. And be quite frank, it seems like in this account, if we were trying to justify, they were deserving of it because of their premeditated kidnapping 
attempted manslaughter, and a false death report that they had passed on. I mean, if CNN during Egypt times had grabbed this story, the headline would have, 11 brothers charged with attempted murder now stand face to face with their brother. That's where we're at when Joseph enters this scene. And they stand before him at his mercy, not knowing that it's him, he recognizing them. And yet the text says this, after an events that led to this moment where a, 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 a cup was put in a sack and they went back to dad, now they're standing in front of him. At, at that moment, it says this, look again in chapter 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he what? What's it say? Cried out. And he said, have everyone leave my presence. And the text says this, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians outside of the door heard him. And it was such an incredible weeping of tears that the word was passed through the Egyptian city that Joseph, he's lost control. Something's up with Joseph. You see, when he was standing there, these wealth of emotions that that he had held on to, that he had remembered, and he realized he needed to make a decision. Would he get revenge on his brothers, or would he set them free and not hold on to this grudge? Would he harbor bitterness? Would he set them free? Would he harbor resentment, or would he set them free? And so this clash of worlds are right before him. And this suppressed emotion that he had pushed down for 22 years burst from his heart. And he wept uncontrollably. Meanwhile, think about this. They don't know this is Joseph. And they're thinking, this dude's got a problem. We just want some grain. Hey, we're a tractor supply. Can you give us some grain? Joseph knows that these are his brothers. God was breaking his heart as he shed each tear. And then in verse 3, it says this in this account. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! Exclamation point. Now, now just picture if you can. I, I like to jump into these narratives, being one of those brothers. You know, dude, we just want to buy some grain. Can someone help this guy? Bawling, crying, like, what's up with him? And then they hear this, I am Joseph. And they did what any sibling would do. They intently looked in, like, wow, that is his nose. Like, those are his eyes. I didn't even recognize my own brother. Maybe he had grown old. Maybe there was a beard. Maybe there was gray hair. Maybe there was wrinkles on his face from spending time in the slammer. Maybe all the burden of of longing to see his father. And they leaned in and they saw these eyes. It's Joseph. And there's no doubt in my mind that this rippling wave of emotions burst from within them and was churning in their hearts, wondering on one hand, does he remember what we did? And what's he going to do? And here's the person that controls their future standing in front of them. They felt deep shame and guilt and remorse. 
And all those nightmares were being realized now. They were waiting for the wrath of a bitter, angry, and scarred brother to unleash all those years of pent-up anger. Can you imagine the scenes? It's no different than us. In a lot of ways, we're, we're just like the brothers. We, we've done something wrong to someone or someone's done something wrong to us. And, or we're just like Joseph. And sooner or later, you're going to face that person or they're going to face you. And, and you have a choice to make. What will you do in that moment? Will you harbor bitterness? Will you hold a grudge? You see, you and I hold the keys to freedom for you and for those that have wronged us. So what does he say? Look what he says in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. And by the way, the one you sold into Egypt. (laughs) Like, they're like, yeah, we kind of remember that. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, and now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What? For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your what? Lives by a great deliverance. does that? How can you look at 22 years of, some would say, missed the better part of his life. 22 years of being away from from family, from, from, from the favor of his own dad on earth. 22 years, and you're telling me, they're looking at him, and, and, and they're hearing from him that, that, that God sent me here, me, Joseph. I'm here because God put me here, so one day when I see you, and you look at me, I'm going to preserve your life. Are you kidding me? What kind of man or woman would ever do that to a perpetrator in their life? A man or woman that knows how to love God and love others. He had lost 22 years of his life, or did he? We use this term in our English language, and we say this. Boy, you harbor a lot of bitterness, don't you? You harbor a lot of resentment. And so we use that, that, that terminology of harboring, resentment, bitterness, because someone has done something against us. And so we harbor it. We, 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 we harbor bitterness, resentment, harbor judgment against people. About four years ago, I went black bear hunting in Alaska with uh, Sam Armington. And so we flew into Anchorage, and we were going to spend eight days out in the wild in a tent in, in, tent in Prince William Sound. And, and so we're going to set up a tent, and we're going to hunt, and then glass all day long in, in a boat, and then see if there was a bear, and then take the boat to the shore, and then stalk and shoot. We didn't shoot off of baited cans, and if you do, that's fine. We wanted to hunt that way. And, and so we were excited, and, and so I, I would meet with Sam. He was a guide. He comes here to Grace Community, and I went with another man that worked at Goshen Hospital, uh, Dr. Kaminga no longer works there. Both of us were going black bear hunting. I was excited. And so I packed up all my gear and, and he packed up all his and Sam packed up his. And we were going to meet an Alaskan guide in the in, in Anchorage area, fly to Anchorage. And then we got to Anchorage. We took all of our supplies. We put them in a rented car and we drove the Alaskan highway. 
and we went to Whitaker Harbor. Now, a harbor is a place where boats are tied. It's a place where there's vessels. And so when you go there, you will find that there are boats that are tied with ropes to this harbor, to the dock. And when you go there, we knew that when we got there, that we would find a vessel, and this vessel would have the man by the name of Ralph that was there, and we were going to take his boat that was tied to the harbor, and we were going to drive it out across Prince William Sound and out across the Alaskan Bay. And it was our ticket to an adventure. It was our ticket to take all these supplies that we had prepared and use them. So we were excited. I remember I'd never went black bear hunting in Alaska, and it was a bucket list kind of thing for me. And I was excited. And the closer we got, we finally pulled in, and there was this harbor. Boats everywhere. And out across the landscape were these mountains and snow on top. And and so my mind began to dream about boy, we're going to take that out across. We're going to get in that boat and we're going to put our supplies and we're going to set up a tent and, and, then, and, 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 and we're going to experience what we never experienced before. And we did, to be quite frank. As we took this vessel out across and, and we, we pulled this, this, this Kodiak boat behind us that we could get in and glass and we saw killer whales that were jumping around and we saw bald eagles and, that were flying down and scooping up fish and and when we set up our tent, we, 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 we saw three avalanches. I mean, who's ever seen an avalanche in the, the wild? You, we were in a tent one night, and, like, and this avalanche came rolling down the mountain. We experienced and, and seen things that, that was incredible. I even bagged a, a black bear. Like, it's incredible to stand in the wild and to shoot a black bear, like, in the middle of Alaska. And yet, imagine if we went to this harbor and this vessel was there, all the supplies for all the freedom that we could experience in this adventure, and, and boats would come in and we just, we sat in the boat. We just stayed anchored to the harbor. Like we had all the supplies and we, we the, the venture was packed with us and the bear were out there and the killer whales and the otters and, and the fish and, 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 and the squid and, and, and all the... It was all there. But imagine just day after day, people come in and, and you're, still, you're still tied to the harbor. I mean, after a while, wouldn't people say, like, what are you still doing here? Like, you got everything it takes to experience that adventure. And day after day, boats would come in and black bear. And men were excited with smiles on their faces. And yet, night after night, we sat at the harbor and slept. Tied to the harbor. What's wrong with that picture? It's the same thing that's wrong with us. Some of us are harboring ourselves to the dock of bitterness. Some of us are harboring ourselves to the dock of resentment. Some of us are harboring ourselves to these grudges. And God has intended us to set ourselves free and to leave the harbor. But how many of you? Well, you like it. In fact, you're really good at it. You've got really good. You, in fact, you can even drag it and move it a little bit. You're still docked to the harbor. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Isn't he good? God's good. Oh, he's so good. Amen. Isn't he good? And this is what it looks like. Because we're holding ourselves to the harbor of resentment. But Joseph didn't. He could have. He could have held a grudge. But he didn't. See, let me ask you a question. Where does God want you or us to drop the grudge and love someone just the way he intended us to? Like, where have you harbored yourselves to a dock? Where can you do this great commandment of loving God and loving others unconditionally? I kid you not. I'm, I'm typing away at this message. It's Thursday. I'm leaving Friday or Thursday night for Wilder Heart Men's Retreat. And so I'm typing this, 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 this message. And just prior to that, I went to social media because I was going back to my hometown and we were going to this mountain that was owned by a childhood friend who's still a lifelong friend. And it's one of those few friends that you and I have. A real friend sticks closer than a brother. Mike is that friend. It's my friend who owns this mountain property that we spent this weekend on, letting us come to his property and stomp all over it in the middle of deer season. Listen, you don't do that. But he did. And so I posted this picture on Twitter, and I put it on Instagram, and I put it on Facebook, just thanking my friend, just like, here's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when I did that, there were people who liked it, and people liked photos or whatever, and I noticed one of the people who liked it was, was a former coach that I had in high school, my sophomore year. And I hadn't seen him or heard from him, and, and all these memories came flashing to my mind about this coach that I didn't realize were still in there. You see, when I was a sophomore in high school, I played basketball, and I was a point guard, and Mike was a shooting forward, and, and, and we liked basketball, and we, God gave us the gift to play during that time. And, but there was a moment in the season where the coach wanted to bring someone else at point guard in place of me, and I really liked that. I didn't like that. And I soon realized, as I was thinking about this, that I remembered the story that some of the players started, went to the coach and said, hey, coach, we really feel like Jimmy should be playing. And, 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 and they even came to my side. And, and I realized that there was a moment in my life where I was resentful. I was angry at him. And so I'm, I'm, I'm typing away. And as I'm typing away, this picture that came up on the Internet, my former coach had liked the photo and as I'm typing away, I kid you not, I'm coming here to this point, and up on my computer screen, it flashes friend requests from Coach Beard. I didn't like what I was feeling. And you know what I'm talking about. See, I thought I had dealt with that for crying out loud. That was in 10th grade. That's before I could grow a mustache. And the Holy Spirit said, Jim, <laughs> she had a choice to make, accept, deny. I did what God wanted me to do. I accepted that. Fast forward after this weekend, I posted a photo of Mike and I. We got together, Potomac River, historic Potomac River. 
And I say, hey, here's my friend, and we had a great weekend. It was just good catching up with him. And you know who's like the photo? Coach Beard. I wonder, I really wonder this. What are you holding on to? And you don't even realize it. Is it a parent? Is it a dad? Is it a brother? Is it a sibling? Is it a coach? Is it a pastor? Is it a teacher? Is it a church? Is it a mom or dad or son or daughter, uncle, aunt? That you know they did this to you. You know it. And they deserve you. They don't deserve to be set free. I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to anchor myself at this harbor until they get what they deserve. And God is saying, God, I'm loose. And go live in freedom. Joseph set his brothers free. You know, when you're still holding a grudge, something happens to you. I want you to just do a mental checklist as I walk through these. You might be still holding and harboring a grudge when that person's name is brought up and you shut down or have nothing good to say about them. Sure, you shouldn't. If you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything. But why? Ask yourself, why don't you have anything good to say about them? Is it because you're holding a grudge? You might be holding a grudge if you have unusual or even volatile anger outbursts in moments of tension in other arenas. You might be holding a grudge if you have physical tiredness and you've been to the doctor and you think, because here's, and they're saying, listen, there's nothing that we can see physically wrong with you. Because here's the deal. If one area of your life is poisoned emotionally, it affects the other areas. You might be holding a grudge if there's just a lack of joy in your life because sin squashes freedom and joy. You might be holding a grudge if you have unhealthy suspicion of other people. Well, since he did that and she did that and that man did that, that woman did that and that teacher did that and that boss did that, because bosses and people, then I, I'm, I won't trust you. You're going to have to earn it. You might be holding a grudge if you have a judgmental spirit where you always find what's wrong in someone instead of what's good about them. You might be holding a grudge if you have an entitlement spirit that says, I deserve so much more than them. You might be holding a grudge if grace and generosity are barely evident for others, but, but you'll send yourself to all over the world, but you dare not share it with anyone else. You might be harboring resentment and jealousy and bitterness. You might be holding a grudge if you have what Jesus talked about in the New Testament, the story, the five o'clock spirit. There was a group that was hired at seven that get paid a wage. There was a group that came at noon, got paid the same wage. There was a group that came at two that got paid the same wage. There was a group that showed up at five o'clock, worked one hour, and the people that were hired at seven and worked longer, they were ticked. They held a grudge against those that got paid the same when they had already been pleased with the money they have. See, God is asking you to do your job and not evaluate other people's jobs. And when you have a tendency to evaluate and think, I deserve more, you might be holding a grudge. 
you might be holding a grudge if you secretly enjoy when the person that has wronged you fails. And you might be in the room or you might be in the conversation and you hear a story and you lean in and, and they say, did you hear? And you're thinking, I don't want you to tell me that, but go ahead. And then when they tell you, your face is blank, but inside you're, you might be holding a grudge. You see, the older I get, and I'm 55, the more I understand that there is freedom in letting go and sailing the seas and experiencing all that God has for us and to love unconditionally. You see, real love restores, and Joseph knew that. Look what he does. Look at verse 10. He says this to him, you shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all that you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong you to you will become destitute. You see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it's really I who am speaking to you. And by the way, tell that about all the honor recorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my dad down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. He set them free. He, 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 he unhooked the rope. He didn't stay harbored to that grudge. He soared the seas of freedom and forgiveness. And his brothers experienced it too. He was receiving the blessing of friendship, the blessing of adventure, the blessing of watching families come together. You see, when you and I hold grudges in our hands, we aren't free to catch a blessing. You can't hold a grudge and receive a blessing from God. Let me just share something that was on my heart. Is that it breaks my heart when I see brothers and sisters, moms and dads, fathers and children, holding stuff, husbands and wives, holding stuff against each other. I think, that's your flesh and blood. And you can't love them? It breaks my heart when I hear about people who haven't talked for years and their siblings. Fathers who, who have children and, 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 and moms who have children who won't even make the effort to set them free and they just hold it until they die. And all their lives they drag this thing around and they harbor themselves to this resentment. Listen to me. If you call yourself a Christ follower and that's the picture of you, then get on your knees and repent. You can't love Jesus without loving others. And yet we justify it. We come up with these coin phrases and we got it all down. And, and I think, come on, church. Think about what Jesus has forgiven us of. Imagine if he harbored resentment and held a grudge against us. Joseph gets a little emotional here. And his brothers are overwhelmed with his love. And then he does 
which seems like crazy stuff. Read on. Look what he does. Verse 16 says, When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, even unsaved people, ungodly people, people who weren't followers of the way as best as we know, who understood who Yahweh was, and, and, and Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come back here. Never mind your belongings because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel, Jacob, did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded. And he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them, he gave new clothing. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away as they were leaving, said to them, don't quarrel on the way. I love that. Because he knew they would. So then they went up out of Egypt, and he came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, and they told him, Dad, guess what? Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. And it says that Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them, because it had been 22 years. And they told him what? That he had what? Died. Verse 27 says, But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. You see, Joseph realized something, and even the Egyptians realized it. They realized that there's so much more to life than things. People are the most important thing on planet Earth. He withholds nothing, and he gives them the best. He doesn't have a stingy bone in his body. He wants them to experience and enjoy everything everything, and the best that he has. You see, you spend a little time with them, and you get to see these kind of people that they're full of joy. People who have untied themselves from the harbor and are walking in freedom and have given over and have forgiven and have, had, have left the harbor of resentment and bitterness and jealousy and entitlement, people who have cut themselves free and untied the rope, there's something different about them. They just love unconditionally. Joseph got to see his brothers become free men. And Jacob, for the first time in 22 years, realizes that his son is alive. I wonder, I know they're, listen to me, I know this isn't easy stuff, but listen, 
No one said it would be easy to follow Christ. I mean, the example he set, carrying a cross and dying on a cross, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty difficult example. But here's what I know to be true. There are men and women, sons and daughters in this room that you won't let go. You know, listen, you know they did this thing to you and you would dare not forgive them because they deserve and you have shut each other off from experiencing the adventure of freedom and all that comes from setting yourself free from the harbor. I'm going to ask you to do something this week. Now listen, I want you to do this as hard as this is. I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, who do I need to untie from the harbor of resentment from bitterness? Where am I still docked with the harbor of a grudge? I want you to do something. I want you to take time, and I want you to write them a letter through the power of the Holy Spirit and say these words, I forgive you. I am sorry for allowing this much time to come between us. Please forgive me. You see, you have control over your response. And when you and I do that, we become what Christ intended us to be. We love unconditionally. Oh, God, help us today. I pray that we start a love revolution right here at Grace Community Church. And I know what happens. Here's how it goes. But Pastor Jim... You don't know what they did to me. But Pastor Jim, he did this six times. She did that seven times. But Pastor Jim, I would rather walk away and throw this marriage away than say, I forgive you. I pray, God, in an unusual way, that first we would go back to the cross and we would remember what you do for us and have done for us. You forgive us freely. And when we understand as people of the way that we should live as you live, then we will be set free too. Oh God, help us to drop our grudges by remembering what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.